Welcome, everybody, to episode 46 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. How you doing, Dan? Doing pretty good, Bo. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, I like your indoor shirt today. <laughs> Bo's giving me a hard time because I am wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt, which I purchased about a week after everything blew up last year, and I wanted to support a good cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as soon as I started looking into said cause, I was no longer willing to support Black Lives Matter Incorporated. So now I just wear the shirts around the house. Yep. I actually remember, I think it was either episode one or two when we you talked about that. Yeah. Um, and uh, you had mentioned before uh, off air that uh, that might be the same shirt you wore when you went and checked out uh, the autonomous Chap Chaz. Chop Chaz. Yeah, I, I believe it is. Yeah. yeah. So it's still a good piece of cotton, though. So I'll wear it around the yeah. house. <laughs> um, you had mentioned that uh, you were given crap because it was blue. Yeah, that was that was interesting when I went down and uh, and did my little video going through chop when that was a thing. Um, some lady uh, made a comment that my Black Lives Matter shirt was blue, implying that I was on the side of the police. Uh, I just laughed it off and kept walking. But that was that was definitely the vibe down there. Yeah, sure. I um I don't have any uh, articles up uh, uh, with, with in front of me at the moment on it, but apparently, as I understand it, more and more uh, freedom of information requests, act requests have been made regarding all the, like the police calls and the disturbances and whatever's that had that occurred uh, in uh, Chop Chess. And it's starting to finally come out, like how bad oh. things actually were. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I looked at I looked into it like a few weeks, maybe a few months ago now, actually. But uh, as I, from what I remember, things were like quite a bit worse than what the mayor, uh, Mayor Durkin, I forget her first name, but Miss Durkin was Jenny uh, Durkin. Yeah. Jenny, that's right, yeah, uh, made it out to be like. There's like multiple references to her saying that like it was going to be the summer of love and everything was fine, and then um, darkly ironically, three days later, like a kid was killed um but apparently there were like thousands i think of calls um for like vandalism for assaults uh, a large number of sexual assaults uh, unfortunately um but like this huge amounts of crime that yeah. we like, this was never disclosed to the public mm-hmm. though i mean i think people could have gathered what was going on at night but it was like a night and day sort of an issue. Like, cause you went and obviously walked Quite around literally. during the day. Yeah. Quite, yeah. yeah. You went and walked around during the day and it was a lot of, uh, a lot of peaceful gatherings and music and art and fun. And like, a, you know, you're going to the fair or something, that kind of thing, or like a festival and, and Very then at night, like a festival. It, yeah. And then at night, like night at night, like the actual leader of chop or is it chop or Chaz? They changed it from chop to Chaz, right? Um, no, it was the other way around. So, so Chaz was Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, yeah. which actually has legal repercussions as if you were declaring yourself to be a sovereign state, Yeah, um, which is not good because then you're surrounded by the United States of America and you are a foreign power. 
Yep. <laughs> if you want to take it literally. So uh, there's legal ramifications to that. They change it to the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest. Okay. So the, the final name was CHOP. I like how they made it CHOP, which is a, um, a like an actually a, a violent motion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the person who like uh, pre- presided over CHOP was um, actually referred to himself as Warlord. He was a just as I understand it, he was like a legitimate drug dealer and um, aspiring amateur, uh, like rapper, if I remember correctly. But, um, like he literally employed people with like straight up guns and they like roamed around and they were doing a lot of the shooting, if I understand correctly, um, and uh, enforcing uh, silence when people who lived within the occupied protest. <laughs> spoke out because their shit was getting vandalized and they were afraid to move around. Um, yeah. So that's very interesting that that's coming out though. It hasn't really been big news lately in in the greater Seattle area. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of other things, mostly it's vaccine related, but um, the, uh, the blue reminds me uh, a girl was recently in Utah uh, charged in part with uh um, I believe it was just a misdemeanor, but she, with up to a year in prison or jail. But um, maybe that makes it a felony. I'm not sure how Utah works, but she was charged uh, with a, a hate crime for destroying a Blue Lives Matter like uh, sign or something. She like stomped on it and crumpled it up and threw it away and did it in front of a police officer. And apparently, her actions were uh, were like snarky and you know, 19 year old rebellious, fuck you, pig, that kind of thing. I don't know if she like said any of that to him, but I, I can just picture like this, this young, smug, little shitheaded teenager, college student who's like, oh, it's a fucking policeman. I'm going to let you burn this sign or like I'm going to stomp on it and act like a brat. And then, you know, you face your accountability. Um, and Sucks uh, when the law is applied evenly, huh? <laughs> well, that's kind of the thing is like the the whole hate crime hates hate crime laws were I believe passed last year or like right before uh, um, the pandemic started in 2019, but I believe it was last year. And from what I most places they've they've been adopted, it's been adopted with like much acclaim. Everyone's like, oh, thank God we can finally you know stamp down on white hate uh, mostly, but you know just the hate against minorities and things. And fair enough, uh, though I don't know if these laws are the right way to go about it. But um, now we're seeing kind of the ramification of that where. Um, some person, I believe it was a young white girl, if I understand correctly, um, stomped on a police sign and it was the, the, the hate crime laws that were expanded to include a bunch of different things, including um, towards someone who's in the law profession. And, and so, Oops. <laughs> so, so now we have like this unintended consequence of people like saying, fuck the police and then getting uh, charged as a hate crime. Um which is quite frankly, the, in part, the problem that I have with hate crime laws is that this is not the kind of shit that you want. You, you should be able to properly criticize the police for fucking up. I, True. You know, and um, you should not assault the police because that's a felony. Um, and that should remain a felony, I think. But um, I see nothing wrong with, uh, even if it's in front of a cop, you know, crumpling up a a blue lives matter sign and throwing it away. I don't agree with doing that personally. I have nothing wrong with the police and I think we should support them, but it's the same reason. I think people should have a right to burn an American flag. 
I don't agree with it at all. And I don't think people should do it, but they should have the right to do it. Um, I agree. I'm wondering if there's a little detail, if she, you know, touched a cop or something and that was, that was a line that was crossed. Cause I agree. You should, you should yeah. never burn a flag. I don't want to see a flag burned, but that is uh, part of our rights here in this country. So stomping on a, a police sign or what have you, as long as you're not, as long as it's your property or, you know, you're not stealing from the cop to mess up their sign or, or what have you, but just making that demonstration should be completely fine. I However, for, yeah. if, in doing that, she is expressing her hatred towards the police and then made contact, assaulted the police in some way, even if it was just a little shove or, or what have you. That's a that's a fairly clear line that she crossed and it needs to be applied evenly to everyone. So. Yeah, it's um, I'm trying to figure I, I forget exactly in the um, <clears throat> in the article, like why exactly she was, uh, um, arrested, but she was, um, she was ar arrested for it. And then, uh, and then charged, I don't know what'll come of it, but, uh, I'm trying to find the article right here. Yeah, yeah, either way, I mean, it's, it's a good reminder that if, if laws get passed, they need to get applied evenly even if you are the quote unquote on the right side or you are the social justice warrior, um, yeah, doesn't mean you're not committing crime. So apparently the girl became upset when the deputy displayed an aggressive attitude toward her friend whom he had stopped for speeding. A friend traveling with the group had previously found a back the blue sign on the side of the road and kept it. So the young girl went and got it. Um, she waved the sign at the deputy, stomped on it, and threw it away. That's it. And, and then, uh, yeah, and then she was, uh, looks like she was arrested um, and was charged. Or not, mm. uh, hasn't been fully charged yet, but what, like, the, the charges have come forth. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I'm not sure what will happen with, with, with <laughs> it. Um, but it's, like I said, it's just one of those things where I'm like, this is the sort of shit that comes about when you do this stuff. Like I'm not saying I support her actions. Maybe she should have just stayed calm and uh, not gotten out of a car apparently and stomped on a sign and waved it at a cop. And like, I, there's just no reason to antagonize. No, definitely not. And I think that's a, a perspective that so many people fail to consider in that the job of law enforcement is fucking dangerous. Mm -hmm. They don't know who you are. Bad things really do happen to police officers, so they have a justified concern. Always. So if you're not going to be calm, if you're going to be getting up in their face, there is no way that they can determine ahead of time that you are not going to do something uh, violent and fast and unpredictable because it does happen. So they have to take a, you know, say a defensive posture, so to speak, in the way that they deal with people. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a, every American adult should have a, a reasonable understanding of that. And when you interact with the police, be as calm as you can, be respectful. Um, and it's, I mean, it, it's, it's part of the talk, right? And it's fucked up that black families have to have the talk. But there's a piece of that 
that everybody needs to hear. Yes. You know, they're, you know, you don't pay the cops salary. They are not your servants and and all that bullshit that people like to say. Um, They're doing a dangerous job and you need to be aware of that. Lest you get yourself arrested or worse. I mean, it's just, it's the reality of needing physical security in our society, which we do. So don't be a fucking idiot. That's really what it comes down to. And, uh, um, I think, and, and that's a hard line because that does allow for abuse of power. Like it 100% does. Yeah, and, sure does. and that actually, that is a problem and it will probably be a problem forever <clears throat> yeah. because there are going to be people who exploit that. That's how people are. Um, but if we're going to have these kinds of services and we're going to have people put their self, themselves on the line for this stuff, um, it's not safe for them or for the public to openly, um, you know, do these kinds of things without sound reason. Because there isn't a sound reason for this this child to have done this, right? Right. You know, there isn't a sound reason for somebody to try and evade an arrest, to run away, or to turn on a cop, or to stop them from pulling their gun, um, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, the. the those things you, you you have to people have to understand that like doing that is it's just going to escalate a situation um exactly and you were in a car that was speeding and you got pulled over take your ticket and go home don't make it worse yeah exactly just yeah exactly exactly but anyways yeah that uh that made me chuckle a bit because now <clears throat> Now we have hate crimes tacked onto uh, uh, this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, well, where do we go from here? Because this is terrifying. Yeah. And well, I don't... That, that segues well to some good news. Uh, oh, did yeah. you finish your thought? I'm sorry. We got some good news no. on this front. Yeah, no, let's, 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 let's talk about some good news, please. <laughs> so it uh, recently came out, and we had talked about this before, the, uh, the quote-unquote diaphragm law in New York City. Oh, yes. And as, as jiu-jitsu practitioners, we understand that if you are not allowed to make contact with someone's torso, there really is no way to safely control them. The only option is to beat the shit out of them or worse. Yep. Um, so that was just was so strikingly terrible uh, a law that I was just completely shocked. Well, the good news is um, a judge in New York City overturned that. Thank God. Um, yeah. And I, I believe it was on the grounds of being unconstitutionally vague. But whatever the technicality was, um, that law has been struck down. So basically, this judge has allowed the police to safely control control a suspect without having to fuck them up. So yeah, good on and- that judge. A little bit of sanity has prevailed. No, and I remember uh, Officer uh, Hanaumi, who was on a couple of podcasts mm-hmm. ago, he, he actually mentioned this. Um, he was talking, touching on this, and he said that, talked about how difficult it was for police officers to, they're having all the methods that they use to control suspects are slowly being removed. And it's hard to know, like, first off, what I can and can't do in certain situations if the training's not there. Yep. And then the other thing is, if you don't have ways to non-aggressively stop an aggressive suspect, you're sort of, there isn't another option, but to resort to um, what people would 
generally think of when they think of physical violence, which is like kicking and punching or tasering, shooting. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's, I mean, th- that's a problem. So obviously I, I don't think that the only thing cops should do is just shoot suspects because they can't do anything else. But I remember seeing a video and this is, there's probably more videos that in more instances of this. And even if there's not a one-off shouldn't just be used as like, this is why we shouldn't do this, but it's still, uh, clarifies our point. It's, it was like three police officers were trying to hold somebody down and they weren't able to sit on him. And so they were like holding his arms in his head and the guy was like hitting them and they were like punching him repeatedly because they couldn't just sit on him. Yeah. And it's like one of the cops was a pretty thick boy. And I would probably guess like 250. You just plop that dude you plop that police officer down on somebody. They're not moving unless they know how to move. Yeah. Like that's a big boy. Like it just, you just sit on the guy for a bit. It shouldn't take too long to get him cuffed, you know, and you run into the risk of someone that big squishing somebody and actually, you know, they not being able to breathe and possibly they suck, you know, suffocate, or at least they'd probably pass out first, but before that would have happened. But, um, and so training needs to come into play, learn how to mount somebody and control them without, um, you know, breaking ribs and, and whatnot. But it's a lot better than three cops punching the shit out of a dude on the side of the street until he goes down. It's like that isn't that's not good for anybody. Sure. That looks yeah. bad for the cops. And then it also looks looks I mean, then it looks bad for the laws we have. It's like, well, why are why is this what we're allowing? You know, well, and it, it takes a long time for particularly that like if you're just sitting on somebody in mount or whatever that's going to take a long time for them to to have their breathing restricted enough to they actually pass out yeah like you've got time to work is is what i'm saying it doesn't just happen instant like oh you touched my diaphragm and now i'm passed out and choked and died no no it takes a long time it's got to be deliberate which is part of what made the chauvin case so egregious because he fucking held that position for so long yeah but as as grapplers, you know, imagine imagine that ten minute round. That is a long round. Now imagine being mounted for ten minutes. That's gonna feel like forever. Yeah, it's happened so to me before. You did it to me once. Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it, it feels like forever, and you're very aware of of what's going on. So all of yeah. which is to say, you know, you're not gonna accidentally knock somebody out just by sitting on them. It's just not how that works. Yeah, and so it. Um... That's good. I'm glad I, uh, I, we've talked about this before, but I've long felt that the, the best way forward is to give police officers more training. Yep. Like that, I don't see any other way to solve the issues that we have is that you need to train them. So one of the best ways that psychologists know to socialize three-year-olds because by the time you're four, it's very, very difficult to socialize you. Like if you're if you're like a little shithead at four and you're antisocial and you like bite and kick and stuff, it's it's very difficult apparently to socialize you after the age of four. Hmm, um, and one of the one of the best ways to socialize young kids is to have them <clears throat> play with other kids. Is to go find other kids and play with them, right? And so like active sports like jujitsu are great for this with three and four year olds because they force you to learn how to socialize and partly how they do that is through physicality right if you learn boundaries physical boundaries with somebody because of you have to be in close proximity you learn what doesn't feel good 
So then you learn that maybe that doesn't feel good to the other person. And that's a social issue. Like you learn those yeah. kinds of things. Um, the number of kids I've seen, they're it's exclusively boys thus far. I'm sure the girls will come in, but it's exclusively boys. And, and, and for, for me, um, they come in, they're um, aggressive. They uh, don't like to follow rules. They, they're, little, they're little shits. And this actually, I've seen them out, grow out of this even after four, but it, it takes longer. Um, you throw them in the mat. You let people smash them a bit. You let them do the weird things that people do when they don't understand how to play jujitsu, like poke in the eyes, and, like grab the throat weirdly. And, you know, like, cause like in kids in particular, they do that stuff. Like they don't understand. So like I had a kid, I was grappling with him and he like took his finger and he just like put it directly into my armpit. Like he like, he actually pushed pretty hard. It didn't feel good, but he thought that that would like get me off of him. So I just laid on him until he like bent his finger back and he's like, ow, that hurt. And I was like, well, don't do that. That's weird. First off, but it also is not going to work because I'm just going to lay on you and you're going to break your finger. You know, you have to like teach them like how these sure. weird things because they don't know. Um, I think that the same rules apply to how we, we should teach cops, which isn't to say that cops are three year olds. Of course, it's just simply that the same methodology is what you should apply. If you want cops to understand how to deescalate a situation and safely um navigate that very, very high intensity uh, situation, you need to train them more on it. Like it's that yep. simple. You just, you need to put them in those situations as best as you can and then show them things that are effective and non-deadly. It's, it, it's the same it, thing. I think it's important to also recognize that the vast majority of police officers, at least that I've ever talked to or, or heard communications from, they all agree with this. Yeah. It's not like the cops are saying they don't want to be trained. You know the, the problems are you know financial and political, but and time. The they don't police have a lot officers, of time too. Yeah, right. That that would be financial. It's like okay, yeah. we, you know, we'll pay you for more time, or we'll bring on more officers to cover the days that you're training. What have you? It's all yep. budgetary. Um, but yeah, I mean, cops want this too. It's the difference between you know getting in a knockdown drag out where you really don't have any experience. You're a rookie or whatever, and it just goes sideways, and then fast forward to, you know, you've been on the, the beat for 20 years, not a whole lot that you haven't seen. So when something goes down, you're more calm, you relax, yeah. you know what moves to make, you know, difference between a white belt and a black belt. Yep. And uh, we do this, time yeah, in. we do the same thing with the military. I don't know why this would be any different either. It's like, yeah. you don't take <clears throat> seven, 18 year olds who just signed up for the army and you just throw them in Afghanistan. You send them through basic training. And then even then, once they go over, they're not immediately thrown into the thick of things. They're put through the ringer of what it's like there first. And then they go on small missions. And then as they do, as they understand more and they get more acclimated, they do more. Right? Because you can't just throw an 18-year-old somewhere and say, good luck. And you also can't do the same thing with a 30-year-old who's untrained too. Like you need to train them. Like, and there's constant training. I remember uh, Jocko talks about this and a few other people who talk about Navy SEALs, they talk about how they're always training. Yes. Training is always going on. And in fact, a lot of them, they, and they get out of buds. Uh, they've lost weight because it's so intense. Um, right. I think Jocko said he ended up gaining weight because they feed you so well. And he was small when he came in, but, um, you know, they, but once they get out, they, they lift all the time and then they, they, they fight each other. They, they actually grapple a lot and they actually hand fight and box. And, you know, it's also a, a bunch of you know, fairly hyped up 
probably overly aggressive dudes. Extreme <laughs> individuals. That's who you want in the special yeah. forces. I mean, but, it's um, a good fit. So that could be, yeah, that could be an extreme example, but it's also, I think similar things occur in the military, just in the military and the regular military too. It's like you have these people that don't have a lot to do. They're in an area They're you might as well train so that you're prepared, go over the plans, figure the things out, work on your combat, work on your reloading your gun. If that's what you have, like, work, you know, work on your shooting, like all these kinds of things. Um, work on your signs and communications, like all that stuff. It's all important and you need to do it. Um, cops should be no different. They should spend, you know, four to 10 hours a week doing a hand-to-hand combat training. That's a lot yeah. of hours, but it, it, I mean, 10 hours is a lot. And four might even work just fine, but... Um, well, they got a lot to learn too. I mean, you know, you and I, we just learned how to choke people and stuff on the mat, but <clears throat> they have to control people in a manner that they need to get them cuffed. They need to have partner techniques. Yep. Like if you and I had to take somebody down, there's there's a, a good chance that we would get a little bit confused. I mean, I'm sure it would be fine, but we don't have a system for you and I to communicate how to work in tandem versus just, you know, I'm going for a heel hook and you're going for the neck or something, yeah. right? So that takes practice. Then you got your firearms, you got your less than lethal. Um, you know, all of these things that that make up the physical aspect of being a police officer, it's quite yeah. a bit. And you're so, in all the tactical gear too. So you have to like train yes. in that. Yes. And it's like, this is a lot of shit. And then you do it once a quarter for like a two hours or whatever. I think um, Officer Hanomi said, it's like, it's not a lot. Like you're expected to remember that. Like, I remember when he described that, and I've heard that this this stuff from other uh, police officers too on TV. It's like what they describe is the free self defense class that's given at the local YMCA once every six months for women. It's like come to this class, we'll teach you a self defense, and then what happens if someone grabs you by the hair, and then you you know you kick him in the balls, and you slap him, and you run, and then you do that a bunch of times, and it's like you're good, and it's like no you're going to get beat up and your shit's going to get taken. You're going to get yeah. assaulted because it's not enough. It Unfortunately, it's not <clears throat> enough. Like that's, I don't say that to be derogatory or mean. It's just, it's just not enough. Like there's very few cases where like one training session is all that's going to be required. Um, Brian, well, our just... head instructor, he told a story about how a girl came in for like a trial class or something. And he was teaching rear naked chokes that day. And that apparently like a couple of days later, um, someone was uh, like in an altercation at a Safeway, a local Safeway. And it was like this bigger gentleman was like yelling at like a, a smaller woman or something like that. And so the girl just walked up behind him and choked him out until the and he like passed out. And then the cops came. No kidding. And, uh, <laughs> and the cops were like, don't ever do that again. But uh, <laughs> but also like I think the reason it worked is because the guy didn't know she was there. So she just literally right. walked up behind the guy and choked him. It's like, that'll work. Sure. But if someone comes up behind you and grabs you or is just bigger than you and in front of you, like you need to understand 50 dozen things and you can't learn those in a day. Unfortunately, like you just can't learn those. And to think that cops are going to be able to do that is bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's a physical skill. There, there is no way that you can learn the theory of a physical skill without practicing. I don't Uh, care how many, yeah, I don't care how many, um, basketball videos you watch you need to physically go out and train your neurology how to dribble the basketball how to run with the basketball how to shoot the basketball there's there's no classroom work that will substitute that it's that goes for anything physical it's just how your neurology works uh you got to put the time in so you can't do that with you know four hours a year 
It's just no. silly. No, it very much is. And I, I th this seems like such a self-evident uh, common sense thing to me that it's almost, it's frustrating sometimes when I hear people tout the opposite narrative and I'm like, I don't, how does this seem like it's going to work? But I, I just don't get like the alternative. I don't get how the alternative is supposed to work. It, like, I think part of it is the people that are making decisions oftentimes are not um, not involved in what we'll call physical, real world reality. And what I mean by that is um, you can make a living as a politician never really having to deal with the real physical world. What you're dealing with is a social world that is artificially created by human beings. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not to say that it's not, you know, a real thing. We're social creatures and, and we have to learn how to navigate that with each other. However, the physical world has laws that don't give a shit who you are, who your political collection, connections are. Either you do the right things or you don't. Gravity is not going to change based on your political position, how many people <laughs> voted for you, any of that bullshit, right? So when dealing with physical reality, and that could be, you know, a construction worker or, you know, whatever, just out, out in the physical real world, um, I think you learn these things and you train your mind that you have to adapt to it. You're not going to adapt it to you. Yeah. And once you fully understand that, then you say, okay, how can I train myself? How can I adapt myself to work within this framework versus, you know, a, a political situation or a social situation where really it's all just kind of fucking made up anyway. It's all squishy. You know, and, and weird things that can happen and there's no hard and fast laws like gravity and what have you. Um, it's different. So we're talking about physical situations with regard to training being or having these decisions made by people that work in squishy situations like politics yeah. and, and social environments. So it's the wrong people making the decisions. Every cop I've talked to, they, all, they agree like, oh yeah, I, I wish we had more training. We need to do this more, but it's, you know, whoever's above them making these decisions like, ah, you know, department won't let us. So we can't, and that's just that. And you yeah. know, people are loyal to their, loyal to their departments and, and that's understandable. Uh, but that disconnect between real world and political world creates these problems that we're seeing. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because, like I said, I think that that problem. If I think Andrew Andrew Yang said this, but uh, um, he's like, if you you, know, you should make every cop a purple belt before they can yeah. go out. It's like I that would take five years, but I'm down. Yeah, five years I'd of be solid, happy with blue. solid like, training. Yeah, yeah, purple would be fucking yeah. awesome. But even even a solid year of three days a week, get yourself a blue belt. You know, maybe you got to go to whatever you're individual talent level is but a, a yeah. legit blue belt that would revolutionize policing yeah that alone would just because of the amount of intensity <clears throat> required like if that's if that was part of the police academy program is that you had to go through a year um yeah. honestly i would uh do something like that where you have a year in, in a police academy and uh, where you have to train at least three to four days a week maybe five um, as part of the requirement for a full year. Um, if you've trained five days a week for a full year, you should hopefully be at least close to a blue belt. 
right? Oh, for sure. Um, if you're, yeah, four or five days a week, like that's pretty damn consistent. That, that, that's a good amount. You're probably and, blue by six months in. Yeah. Keep and, going for but, a year. but I would, I would hold them for the year and then maybe have something like a, uh, you have a three year probationary period or a f- five year probationary period or whatever, where you still have to train and it's, it'll maybe it's subsidized. It doesn't matter. Um, where you need I think to it reach. does matter. I would support subsidization. Yeah, I, I, I do too, because I don't think it should be out of their own pockets. Um, right. But however, that's decided. Uh, but yes. it's like, okay, you have four more years to get a purple belt. And you have to, or you can no longer continue. Like just flat out, you can no longer become a cop. It's like, if you don't get to this level, we cannot trust that you're willing you're going to be able to do what is nest what is proper in the streets something like that and because i mean like you know to get a purple belt it's, it's a long time commitment right it's not like it's an easy yeah. thing to do but i think that requiring something like that for for somebody for that kind of a job might be necessary because it shows that they're willing to put the time in first off yep. like that's yep. because of the time commitment if uh there's the funds to do so and like the city and the, and the, the, the police station and all that um, support them that it gives them incentive to do it. Uh, maybe there's a pay bump that comes from that, but also like I'm much more likely to trust a purple belt who's willing to stick it out to purple belt and get a purple belt um, than I am a one-year blue belt because a one-year blue belt can get a blue belt in six months, just based off of athleticism alone. So you have to have pretty defined parameters on like you get an athletic young kid comes in, wants to be a cop and he's a blue belt in six months. It's like, okay, maybe he's just a blue belt who's an asshole, but you get well, I think five if, years of getting smashed by other people and really <laughs> trying to get better and understand the nuances of shit. It'll help. I think if, if we're going to refine the concept, I would say whatever the blue belt equivalent of GST training is that's the the gracie survival tactics and that's the law enforcement course that uh the gracies from torrance put out i think if they were to put something together because that is going to include the more uh the specific things that law enforcement needs that uh civilians don't like handcuffing techniques partner techniques and things yeah um if they were to define the requirements for a blue belt gst like i think that would be perfect Sure. Like make that the minimum. And then maybe if you want to make a sergeant or or some other, I don't know all the rankings within. Then maybe the, uh, you require the higher ranks. Yeah. 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 Um, I'd be fine with something like that. Cause my big thing is I would want someone to persist past that level. I would want right. them to, because there's a lot of people who will want to go in to be a policeman, but it'll just go through that just to become a policeman. And they're like, that's fine. But if they have to continue to do it, it's a lot of extra work. So it's going to weed out people who don't want to put in the extra work. And maybe we'll weed out some good cops. I don't know. But I do know that the people that will come out of it will be the ones that I actually am going to trust when there's a physical altercation on the side of the street to not fucking kill somebody. Yeah. Because the, in, unless they absolutely have to. Because they're the ones who are going to so deeply understand the, the nuances of the human body and how it works with their gear on that they're, they're going to be able to handle those high stress situations, even if they've never really been able to replicate them um, as much live as they would like. I, I will trust that person over someone who's only done it for a year because they have to do it every day or a few days a week or whatever. Um, but I would want it to be on a fairly shortened timeline because what I don't want to see is like, you have 10 years to do this and then someone goes once a week for 10 years and then is a purple belt. And it's like, I don't think that that's... Right. 
someone who goes one day a week and is a purple belt most likely is not really able, has not gone enough to enough classes and learned enough to actually have advanced from. That's more of like an attendance belt. You just yeah, showed right. up enough that, that your fucking right, instructor exactly. felt bad for you or something. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then at that point, you're the you're the 20 year salesman in your office who is just as good as you were 20 years ago, but everyone looks up to you because you're the old guy. And it's like, yeah, you know, or you're the you're the old ass doctor who is actually really bad at your job, but was really good 20 years ago and just stopped trying. Right. Like that's Hasn't that's what that anything is. Since. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what that is. It's like you need to go consistently, and then maybe after five years, if you want to peel back, like that's okay. Like I, I don't really like that, but if someone can put in five or six years, the odds that they quit are slim, slimmer too. Like there's not a lot of purple belts that quit. Right. Yeah. You know, it's you know, I it's it. None of this is news. Like special forces have known this since forever. Yeah, that's what they do. Um, it's just the importance of ongoing training. If you want to have a capable force, you have to continually train. There's no stopping point. You know, uh, it has to be ongoing and you just got to do it. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, you're going to run into logistical challenges, blah, blah, blah. I personally, like I said, I would be happy if they were legit blue belts and give them some sort of incentive to get a legit purple belt. Uh Beyond that, I mean, of course, you know, black belts would be awesome. But realistically, if, if the vast yeah. majority of cops are purple and blue belts, this it would it would change everything, and the mm -hmm. amount of money spent on lawsuits and all that would go down. I mean, you know, the 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 Gracies out of Torrance, they've got statistics on this. We talked about this with Officer Hanaumi in that the the places where they have done, you know, the the current version of what we're talking about have been successful. Yes. The stuff works. We just got to, again, convince the squishy politicians that we need to make some real world moves. No, very, very true. You, uh, this is a total subject change, but you had a couple of other things on your list. You want to run through them? I know there were some things I hadn't read about, but I'm here. I'm curious to hear about. So yeah, um, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, let's, uh, let's start with SMS censorship. Oh, my fucking Christ. Dude, this is, this is a big deal that not a big deal is, is being made out of. So I heard about this on uh, Breaking Points, which is the new program with Crystal and Sauger, formerly of Rising. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't know, they've gone on to do their own thing, so they're not uh, beholden to the folks at, uh, at Rising in the Hill. Uh, and they are reporting on, apparently, the Biden administration is considering some sort of way to have the SMS carriers either indicate or remove potential disinformation from text messages. Yes. This is, uh, I mean, I can't stress this enough. If you can possibly imagine, you know, and the, the example that Crystal gave is you get a, a text from your kooky uncle saying some shit about QAnon or whatever. Um, and either there's a follow-up message from your carrier telling you that this is disinformation or even worse, maybe they just don't send that message at all. So now the SMS carriers are the arbiters of what you are allowed to discuss. And they're trying to do this at the federal level. Um, 
this hasn't happened or anything yet. I don't want to freak anybody out, but you should be very, very concerned because these are the conversations that they're having. Yeah. And I think the most important thing, and Crystal brought this up, is that if this happens and if the if the White House or if the president gets this power, it never, ever goes away. You never get powers back. If you give the president mm -hmm. that type of authority, it's like that forever. So if you are possibly thinking, well, you know, we shouldn't be spreading vaccine disinformation, so maybe it's okay. Uh, no, that's definitely not okay. Um, other than the fact that it's absolutely trampling your free speech rights. But, uh, you know, flip that over. Let's just say hypothetically Trump gets back in in 2024. <laughs> and now he is censoring what type of text messages you can send about voting rights or, or any other fucking thing that's important to you. Like him, like making fun of him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he could he could he could censor any sort of negative information about the president of the United States because he doesn't want to hear him uh, or you know, nobody want doesn't want anybody calling him names. Um this is this is fucking dystopian. The fact that they would even consider having that conversation with an SMS carrier mm -hmm. um, is deeply concerning. And I think it's, it's, it is the hard proof to the suspicions that we've had that the government's really you know, not concerned about your, your free speech rights. If anything, it's an inconvenience for the things that they would like to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if we're and, not willing to fight for our rights, the sure as shit, we'll get rid of them. No, very true. And uh, the article that they mentioned, I looked up the article uh, by Politico and it, okay. the title is potentially a death sentence. White House goes off on vaccine fear mongers. The gist of the article is about how vaccine fear mongers are like literally killing people by spreading misinformation. And then there's a throwaway paragraph midway through, and it just says, Biden allied groups, including the DNC, are also planning to engage fact checkers more aggressively and work with SMS carriers to dispel misinformation about vaccines that is sent over social media and text messages. The goal is to ensure that people who have who may have difficulty getting a vaccination because of issues like transportation see those barriers lessened or removed entirely. That sounds then, so subtle. I know. And then right below that is a, a White House spokesperson, Kevin Munoz, said, when we see deliberate efforts to spread misinformation, we view that as an impediment to the country's public health and will not shy away from calling that out. Now, there's a little bit of a disconnect between calling that out and um, somehow managing to work with private companies to read information, which I believe was exactly what the Patriot Act did and was found in like to have violated a huge number of laws. I think I'm correct in something in that something like that. Okay. Um, but because uh, the Patriot Act obviously did a lot of scary shit, they were literally monitoring our, our, our calls and stuff um, in the name of rooting out terrorists um that generic so, term so i'm not entirely sure how this is any fucking different like fundamentally i don't understand how this is especially in the phrase that scares me the most is they're also planning to right like that tells me that there's been talks of this 
and that the like all systems are so, somewhat go like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're planning to do this. Like we're we already got everything ready. We're, we're just going to, you know, dot a few I's and cross a few T's. And then, you know, you're going to start getting text messages and shit from AT&T or whoever you Verizon, you know, saying, hey, um, maybe maybe you shouldn't believe that. My dad actually sends me a bunch of uh, um, interesting videos and things from uh, um, what I, what I believe are uh, conspiracy theorists, crazy people. Okay, and it's not really a, some of it's about vaccine stuff. He actually sent me one from uh, B- Brett and Heather, the Dark Horse podcast. It had to do with ivermectin, but most of what he sends me is um, about people who believe in uh, different dimensions in the universe and how uh, different levels and dimensions of different beings and how some of oh, us wow. are actually alien and th- th- there's, there's like some crazy stuff. And um, I'm. It, and it's fine. I don't believe in any of the shit and I let him entertain it. Let him do his thing. I don't care. I love my dad. He can believe whatever the fuck he wants to believe. Sometimes I laugh at it. Sometimes I just go along with it, but I sure as fuck don't want Verizon or I forget why I think it's Verizon sending me a, a text and they're like, your dad's fucking batshit crazy. You should probably follow like real things. Here you go. And it's like, I don't want that shit. No, not at, at all. all. That's assuming you're still receiving all of them. Maybe they put warnings also, on some and just delete the others. Also, how do you, yeah, how do you, how do you account for that? And then, um, does it just get sent to me or does it get sent to him to see, you know, what if these people are actually true? Like, what if the things that he's saying are actually real? I mean, we've seen plenty of, who are the fact checkers? Exactly. We've seen plenty of shit that throughout history, but recently even that has been, um, over the last year has been suppressed and removed and cited as misinformation and then turns out to not be. And we were talking about this a, a few weeks ago, but uh, uh, I believe it's, it was the fellow who um, created created the mRNA thing that all the, the, the Pfizer and Moderna are built around the vaccine. And so how it works, he created it. And he like testified before Congress about his the the problems that he had with it um, because there wasn't enough testing that was done. And, you know, they fast tracked everything. And he's like, I got some concerns. He posted that testimony, which is public fucking record. Like it legally has to be public record because it was before Congress and you can't remove it. Like it's public record. YouTube took it down. Yep. That was a Dr. Pierre Corey. um, That's right. He was on the the Dark Horse podcast. Absolutely worth tracking that one down either on YouTube if it still exists there or on Odyssey. And if we we can uh, throw that in the show notes. Yeah, dude, you're absolutely right. It's like, so that gets censored, like something of public record, something that literally legally cannot be censored as far as I'm aware, because it's a public record. And YouTube's like, well, we can censor it. Like, what's to stop? Private company, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, AT&T is a private company. What if you send that to me? And then AT&T comes back or Verizon or whoever is like, hey, like this, you know, you, you you need a better friend, like your friend's batshit crazy. I assume they're not going to say all this. They're just probably mostly going to be like, this information was deemed by our fact checkers as false. Like you should check this out. Um, Cause anything over other than that would be a huge overstep um, as if this already isn't, but it's like, that's, 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 that's terrifying. Yeah. Especially think, when I mean, it comes from the gut, the government, like that, that's the other thing too, is it's yes. like, it's one thing for private companies to do this. And that's terrifying enough. Like they're already doing this shit and I don't like it. I don't, no, but then you 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 get the federal government involved, and it, like when has that ever been a good thing? When is the federal government knowing everything or really anything about its its private citizens ever been good in the history of human humanity? When has that been good? 
I actually don't think that there's been a time where that's ever been good. No, definitely not. And it's, I, I've come to the point where, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, losing our freedom of speech and losing our right. I think they're already lost. It takes time to see the worst of our fears come true. It starts slowly, little things here and there. But really, I think the line has been fully crossed at this point. Um, and whether or not it's possible for, you know, society to, to stand up and fight and get any of that back, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think possible. that it's already in motion. Is yeah. when it's not like, oh, we're we're in danger of. No, no, no. It, it's already happened. And now it's a matter of mitigating how far we let it go. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, lest we forget, I believe it was 2012, one uh, President Barack Obama signed the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization, Authorization Act for um, is either that year or, or however often that they renew those. But there was a clause in there that effectively says they can indefinitely detain someone that they believe is a terrorist mm -hmm. with no further explanation of what a terrorist is other than I just called you a terrorist. So you're a terrorist. So Which means they can literally lock you up without a trial with no rights whatsoever for the rest of your life. That so, is on the books. That's yeah. a real thing. It hasn't been exercised. Obviously, people would lose their mind, but that is a power that exists. So do you know what the number one th uh, threat, do you know what the number one, how do I want to phrase it? Um, domestic terrorism, the number one threat to, to, to our country is domestic terrorism. And do you know what that terrorism is? I know. I have no idea how they define that. What, what, it's, what white, it's right now. It's white supremacy. White supremacy. Okay, so that's um, the number one threat, huh? That that came out a couple months ago, right? So that was like okay. one of the first things that uh, that Joe Biden uh, in his cabinet said and did with their executive orders and all that when he took office in January. Um, okay. yep. I assume it came out in February or something. I can't remember, but yep. the, the the white supremacy thing was like, that's like the number, number one thing when it comes to domestic terrorism, because domestic terrorism now is a bigger threat than external terrorism. So you have what you just said, plus the number one threat to our, um, our, our democracy and our, our culture, which is uh, white supremacist domestic terrorism, um, which is also loosely defined but and that's a big problem. So it is absolutely possible, Bo, that either you or I or both of us could be detained for the rest of our lives without any court proceedings or anything like that if someone in the government just called us domestic terrorists yeah. with no proof. Uh, that, is, that is a thing that could happen. Very yeah, unlikely I mean, for you and I, but it, that is absolutely possible. No, I, I could get there. I could get there for us. That, that wouldn't be a problem at all. Um, I, I, <laughs> I mean, just cut my hair a little bit shorter. No, no. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I already have the baldness, so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of fucked. But um, no, it's uh, just based on the things that we talk about. Um, yeah. I mean, you could just pull up our first episode. That alone would qualify under... Um, I'm sure of it. I, I would need to look through the, 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 what they define as it, but just based on everything that I have read and all the things I've kept up on, just the stuff that we criticize, the criticizations alone would make us guilty of it yeah. under, under, um, under theory. So, um, 
it, yeah, it's one of those interesting things where I'm making a leap, a little bit of a leap between between things, but it it it's only a leap if you don't understand the literature, right? That, well, that's, I mean, the, that's the problem. Like, you know, a lot of, not a lot of, I, I would say a decent number of people, you know, they, 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 when they criticize James Lindsay in particular, like you're just being crazy. And it's like, maybe unless you've read all the shit and then it's not crazy anymore. Then you start to like speak the language and you're like, oh, this isn't crazy at all. Like, like to, to criticize the current orthodoxy is to be against it. And white supremacy is what they're against. And so if you're against the orthodoxy, which is against white supremacy, then you're Therefore, white supremacist. I already did it. See, we're guilty. That was super right. easy. Like I, I didn't even need to. I didn't even say anything. We did. We just criticize it. And it's like there we go. And um, that may seem conspiracy theory esque, but it's actually very simple. And I, I think that you're right. That it's unlikely that it'll happen to us. Mostly because our platform is extremely tiny. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not all that concerned uh, that anyone in the government has any clue who we are whatsoever. But. Um, it's still concerning to think that like I could make a small leap like that and have it not be uber ridiculous. Yeah. But I think actually it's, plausible. It's, it's important to understand that we don't live in a free country. It's a free ish country. And to be clear, I still think the United States is the best thing going so far. You know, we got a lot of stuff, right? There, there is enormous amounts of opportunity. It's not perfect. And it's also not free. It's free ish. It's free adjacent. Free the adjacent. United States is free adjacent, but it's not a free country. <laughs> it's um, doing better than Cuba is, so. Yeah, for sure. All right, so there's not a whole heck of a lot we can do about that. Let's talk about some things that we do have a little more <laughs> influence on, and that's the, uh, like, the let's talk, family, yeah. family and socializing. I like it. Let's talk about happy things. Yeah. So... Uh, I spent the weekend. You got more contact with your family, so yeah, I'll let you start. Yeah. No, it was just one of those things. I um, I had spent the weekend uh, at a wedding, um, or I spent Friday at a wedding, and then um, Saturday through Monday morning, I was with my family. And uh, it, it we had, you know the wedding was nice. It was someone I went to elementary school with. And um, oh, cool. Yeah, it was it was really nice, and uh, and then I spent time with my family. We had a barbecue on Saturday, and uh, we actually ended up watching the UFC fights. So I got to see Connor break his leg, which was fucking hilarious. Um, and uh, and it, yeah, it, it was just I had a bunch of family come up, some friends, and to my parents' place. They have a lot of property, and uh, um, it kind of reminded me, like I, it made me very appreciative of some of like it made me realize what's important in life you know i had one of those kind of a couple of those moments where i was just like i'm so so fucking happy to be here and to be around people that i love and you know i i ended up going solo i wasn't able to go with my my girlfriend wasn't able to come with which was a bummer but um even still like it it was a very um fun time very emotional time for me personally um one of the speeches at the wedding uh, made me tear up a bit. Um, and it kind of hit home for me. It was 
and I can talk about that in a second too, but like in a good way, but it was still a very intense uh, speech. And uh, um, yeah, and just like being around my family because I hadn't seen them in uh, about a month and a half, two months maybe. And uh, I've been trying to go once a month to see them. And um, it's just beautiful weather. It was like 80 degrees and, uh, you know, we had uh, multiple lawn games and uh, my parents like said they have 14 acres and uh, probably like four of it is uh, multiple different yards. Okay. So they have like a, a small front and a backyard, and then there's like a little bit of a hill with a big kind of a big yard on either side of the house, up above and below them on a hill, and then across from the like the road because it's a private road, a gravel road. There's like this really really big like two acre yard. It's huge. It's like you could probably fit two football fields in it. And um, hmm. and uh, so maybe it's only acre. I forget exactly how much an acre is, but. Um, my it's stepfather. roughly a football field. Okay, yeah. yeah. So then it'd be two. That makes sense then. Yeah. And so um my uh, my parents decided to make like a um a four hole golf course on on mm-hmm. with all the lawns. And yeah. you know, it's like uh you, you could they're you're only using like pitching wedges, so you can hit it like it's like they're like 75 yards apart or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um across the different yards and stuff. And uh so we were playing that without trying to kill kids. And um no one knows how to golf. So it's mostly we're like putting on shitty grass <laughs> with a pitching wedge because like you're not hitting it in the air very you know very far very well right. and so it's mostly just slicing it on the ground for 30 yards but um you know we had horseshoes and uh cornhole and um some other random stuff yeah we made moonshine uh oh, a fire yeah. an ar-15 yeah it nice. was uh yeah it was just like a typical redneck barbecue <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good family time right there yeah you know exactly it was it was a lot of fun and so um but yeah, it, uh, it's kind of like I said, it has made me really appreciative of, of having family and being able to socialize and, uh, um, and that kind of thing. And I, um, yeah, I thought it'd be nice to just kind of talk about happy things like that. Just like the importance of that. I, I think that I know that, um, depression and anxiety and suicide and drinking and, um, uh, domestic violence are, are like hugely on the rise throughout all of last year. And, um, yeah there are a lot of reasons for that. But one of those reasons was lack of socialization, lack of most places. It was, you actually couldn't go outside, um, and socialize, you know? And so like Washington state, we, at least in King County, you know, we had a mandate for a while where you couldn't go outside without a mask until they started listening to science and realized you could take your mask off and breathe there. Like, um, but you couldn't do it around people for a while. Like, you know, and, uh, and so I think people get stuck inside and they don't get to see their family. They don't get to see their loved ones. And, um, maybe they're stuck with people they don't want to be with also. Um, sure. Hopefully yeah. that wasn't, isn't the case, but, and so just being able to break away and uh, experience that. And, uh, you know, we saw a wedding, it was mostly outdoors and uh, the, the venue where we ate had like two huge, like a uh, garage style doors that were like 30 feet high, high ceilings. And the whole thing was open. So we could, we could, you know, we could do a mask free and that was nice. And, um, as far as I'm aware, most everybody was vaccinated. Um, I didn't ask, I didn't care, not my business, but, um, it was, it was open enough that people were far enough away for the most part that I wasn't too concerned. And I'm also vaccinated. So I'm not concerned really in the slightest, but, um, but yeah, it was just like a it just beautiful to 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 attend a wedding, you know, and um, to see someone I the, the the guy who got married um, he moved to my town midway through sixth grade, so he came in second semester, okay. and I was his first friend. 
um, the teacher actually, my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Ward, who I think is the principal at my old elementary school, um, actually told me to be friends with him. She's like, <laughs> I need you to like, she, but she was like, you know, I need you to show him around. He's new. Like, would yeah, you yeah, do yeah. it? And, um, it's like a slight bit of backstory, but, uh, I found out later that the reason she did this is because, um, prior to sixth grade, I was really close with somebody, um, a friend, Peter Bricky. And we were like inseparable. We would did everything together. And he's the one who got me playing magic, the gathering. We would do sports together. And, um, her, she was my sixth grade teacher and her and the other sixth grade teacher when they were doing assignments for classes from fifth grade for the fifth graders to see who's going to be in the sixth grade classes. They decided to um, split us up and have us be in different sixth grade classes so that we could um, socialize with other people more, make more friends. And um, when we found out at the end of fifth grade, we were both like distraught. It was like the worst summer I've ever had. I was just cried the whole time. I was angry at my teachers for the entire fucking year of sixth grade. Like I was, I, I was like, this is bullshit. And I found out later that she told me to do that so that I could like have a new friend so I could move on basically like get over this. And so I showed him around and like, just a goofball about it. Cause I was a, I was a goofball at sixth grade. And, um, I didn't really think of it as like a big deal. I just, he was a nice guy. I still like him. You know, we're still friends. And, um, he actually talked about that experience. He gave a speech. He was a valid valedictorian. And he gave a speech at high school and he talked about that, how it was like a formative moment in his life and because he didn't know anyone and he was terrified and he just came from an, an out of state and this you know crazy little kid like runs up. I was like, I'm going to be your friend. You can't do anything about it. Come with me. <laughs> and then I just like ran him around school for six, for three months. And, um, and that's partly why he invited me is that he wanted to invite people from his life that like helped him. And I was the only person from elementary school and one of two people from high school who came. Wow. And one of them actually happened to be my best friend who I married a few weeks ago, a few months ago, but, um, we both went, but, uh, yeah, it was like a big deal. I was like, I was like really touched when he, when I realized that, you know, that it was, this is something that stuck with him for like his whole life. And for me, I was just like, okay, I'll be nice to him. Like, as long as he's not a jerk back, like I'll, you know, <laughs> I, I'm 12. Like, I don't, you know, I sure, don't know. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And it was just, it, I didn't know anyone there except for his parents and his, his brother and him. That was it. And, and, you know, my friend who I actually stayed with and, uh, him and his wife, and we, um, we got a place together and stayed for the night and, and whatnot. But, uh, so it was like, I didn't, I had to meet a bunch of new people and he was talking about it. And I was just like, wow, like this, like seemingly innocuous moment to me, like was so special for him that he's like, if I have to have people who mean something to me in my, my wedding, then that's it. Like you're coming. And we haven't talked in, I don't know, eight, 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which happens, you know, like, yeah, Yeah, it it really was like, it was very touching. And, um, you know, like as happens when you graduate, like you, you, you move different places. He went up to Western. I went to in Bellingham and I went to Washington and Seattle and, um, and then he moved down to Portland and the Portland area. And, uh, I stayed up here and, you know, you just like lose contact and stuff like it happens. And, uh, and so I, and I randomly, um, I got an invitation in the mail and my best friend was like, yeah, he called me and reached out and asked what your address was. So like, he could send you an invitation. And I was like, holy shit, like, damn, you know? And, um, and that wasn't really the emotional part, but, uh, that was, that was also emotional. It was just like one of those things where like, it's so nice to be able to, to appreciate that sort of stuff. You know, I think when you lose those kinds of moments, because people lost those for a year. Yeah you know, it, like it hits hard. And, um, I was like, fuck, like, 
like I said, like a seemingly innocuous moment to me or like a bit of time to me. It's like this 12 year old just doesn't understand. And it's just like, I was just a friendly kid. I was crazy and had hyper energy and loud and obnoxious and stuff. But I was just, I, I like, just like other people. And so I, you know, as angry as I was at my teachers, I was still going to be nice to them, you know? And this is like, this is one of those things that's always stuck with him. And I was like, fuck, like, nice. I don't need to, I don't need to do something good for anyone ever again after this. <laughs> <laughs> you met your quota. <laughs> my, my good deed for my life right there. But no, I, I totally kid. But um, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was a fucking beautiful wedding. And uh, I'm really happy that he was able to find somebody, um, you know, I've known him for a long time. And so I've seen him go through um, a, a pretty, uh, toxic relationship for a very long time mm. and so for him to find somebody that um as near as i can tell is he'll be able to stick it stick with forever and it's right for him and uh you know allows him to be himself and things like that um was uh was heartwarming to see you know it, it really was it was like it's, it's like fuck yeah like this is the this is the shit that we should cherish as humans you know is um, these moments where I'm able to, I was able to share that with him, you know, and uh, it was a very personal thing for him, of course, that he shares with everyone, but it was also very personal for me knowing what I know about him and for how long I've known him. And uh, um, yeah, it was uh, definitely very cool. It was a very cool thing. And uh, this, one of the speeches made me tear up a bit and I actually was explaining it to my girlfriend and then I actually cried um, when I explained it to her after I got home. But uh his, uh, like I said, I, I knew his mom and his brother and his uh, stepdad. And I, uh, I didn't say hi, but I recognized he has a younger sister who's a couple years younger than us. So I didn't really know her that well, but, um, his stepdad was there and his mom and his stepdad had gotten divorced a couple years ago, I guess. And she, they both remarried and, and things. And, and I guess that their relationship wasn't all that great. And it was pretty, uh, um, pretty bad, I think for her in particular. And since then, like she was able to really open up and kind of come into her own and as a, as a middle-aged woman and, um, married a much younger man and is very, very much happier in her life. I think her, I think her husband's like our age or my age, sorry. Um, I think he's in his like mid to late thirties and she's like in her mid fifties. Uh, nice. but, uh, I'm not sure I didn't ask him, but he, he definitely looks very young yeah. comparatively. Uh, anyways, um, mom gives a great speech. It's very inappropriate. She cusses a lot, a lot of laughter and his stepdad stands up to give a speech and, um, you know, and, and he's like, you know, I, I'm not his real dad, but I raised him and Mike, his older brother. And, um, you know, sometimes bad things happen in life. And that isn't an excuse to uh, to not be there for, for your kids. You know, he was referring to the divorce. And he's like, you know, so I told him, you know, my door will always be open. And his door was open when it, my friend's uh, older brother came out as gay. And he's like, I don't care, whatever. And um, you're still my son. But he said something like this, just, it just broke me. He's like, you know, my dad, he's like, I have seven stepkids. And he's like, my dad told me before he died that he's like, you know, Dean's the guy's name. He's like, you know, maybe you're just not meant to have kids. You're just meant to raise other people's kids. And he's like, that touched me. And he's like, he's like, so I will always be there for you guys. And that like super hit home for me. Like it, like it just fucking broke my heart because I have a stepdad. And my dad was gone for a while. And my stepdad was an asshole for most of my young adult life, but he always stuck around. And we have a great relationship now. You know, he's stubborn and difficult. And I've called him an ass multiple times and he knows it and he knows he's an ass, but like, he's my asshole. And like, cause it's just his personality. He's just an abrasive person. Yeah. But 
you know, and we have a cri- we have a masculinity crisis on our hands. Like we really do. And we have a fatherlessness crisis and like, I'm really fucking serious about this. And yeah. to have this guy stand up and to tell this story. And he's like, the door is always open for me, for you guys. You can always be there. And I was just like, there were funny stories. And, you know, like the, the bride's dad, like talked about her bringing another voice home. Like, you know, there was some, there was funny shit and he just stood up and I was just like, holy fuck. Like, this is just, it was just so powerful for me. And, um, you know, it just made me appreciate going home and seeing my mom, my stepdad even more. And, um, for all of all of his faults and, and things and, and his mental health issues. Cause my stepdad suffers from some mental health issues and it's like the fucker never left. And I don't blame my dad for, you know, I mean, a little bit, he went to prison and he came out and we've repaired our relationship and things have been fine, but like he was always there and I've always been able to go to him for anything I need and any questions I have or any advice I have on life. Like I, I can ask him if I want to, I tend not to, cause I'm afraid of what he'll tell me, but, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, but, 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 but I'll still talk to him. And, um, you know, and, uh, it was, like I said, it was just one of those moments where I was just like, this is the shit that we need. Like we need more men, <laughs> not just men yeah. like this person, but we just need more men. Yeah. And it was just so fucking powerful. And, uh, Sorry, it's a. Like I said, it, 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 I don't know why exactly it is. Maybe because it's like a personal thing because I have a stepdad, but it, it, who who's been there my whole life. But it just it just fucking it just hit me and just floored me there, and I was just like, holy shit, I can't ball at this wedding where no one knows me. <laughs> I like keep so I start drinking. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was uh, it was just a beautiful beautiful speech, and uh, anyway, he told a funny story about Chris crashing his car the first day he gets in college but um it was just that that whole moment i was just like that's fucking right like you know you people make mistakes but they still stick around for their kids like that's what i took from that too was like just because the marriage didn't work out doesn't mean that you don't stop being a father yeah you know kids need that shit and here's this young man who has all the integrity in the world managed to go off and get a degree in college and then managed to, or went to community college first and then went to college and then just did his district is just, he's a, just went to a master's program during COVID and is in October defending his thesis in front of a panel of doctors, um, to, to get it, to get his master's degree and, you know, try and make a difference in the world. And it's like, a lot of people do that at, at my age in particular, but it's like, a lot of that is directly from having someone there and it doesn't have to be exclusively like a male father. Right. I'm not saying that it has to be, you know, the, 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 you know, the atypical like male female relationship, it, it could be just two parents having that second parent who's a father figure who takes on that role. Um, it's so fucking important. I don't care if it's two women or two dudes, like you're going to be different. So one of you is going to take one role. One's going to take another. You're going to mesh a little bit. Like that's how it works. But to have someone who's always there, who has that door open, like that's so important. And um, I think that as a culture, we like, we really need to reprioritize how we see families because it, it should not be a single parent with a bunch of relatives. It should be two parents. I don't care who they are. I don't care how they feel or who they love or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. There should be two of them. And they should be a cohesive unit that is always there for those kids and can help them grow because kids have have it tough. And you need... It's a big deal, man. It has lifelong big, repercussions. It, it, yeah. Sure. And 
I know I think we're seeing a lot of that now. I mean, my generation, a little bit of your generation, and then the generation after me, the Gen Zers or whatever the fuck they're called. Like, you're, these are the generations that are essentially um, uh, single, m- fatherless, but because um, it's mostly fatherlessness not so much single fathers that raised kids it's very uncommon comparatively but um the rise has been occurring from your generation to that and it's like that i think we're i think a lot of the turmoil that we see and a lot of the uh cultural confusion that we see and animosity and 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 whatnot is in part because of this and uh unfortunately and but anyways yeah like i said it was just a just a fucking beautiful moment um he totally took the wind out of every other speech like there was some a bunch of funny speeches there <laughs> and he set, stood up and just did a, like a super serious speech and i was just like fuck this is the best speech i've ever heard at a wedding i've heard some really funny some really good best man speeches some some really good uh made uh, made of honor speeches but that was like i think hands down like the most at least the most emotionally impactful and um and then I got to go home and see my stepdad and my mom. And my I got to see my, my my one of my brothers who I haven't seen in five years, and um, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just really good to to see family and to hang out and and do that. Be That's able to awesome, do that. Yeah, be able to do that again. You know, at the end of the day, I mean that's that's kind of the point of the whole thing. And what I mean by that is if you're chasing success and we're worried about our, our freedoms as Americans and all this stuff, the point of all of that really is to help support those relationships. You want to make a bunch of money so you're, you and your loved ones are financially secure and you have options to go do things with those people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have freedom of speech so we can all discuss these ideas together um, and and just work on those relationships, you know? I mean, obviously there's more to life than that, but that is w- absolutely one of the primary things. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to separate that from all the other things in life that we're fighting for because it really comes back to those relationships. That's that's where the real juice in life is. So, yeah. And yeah. I would say to anyone who's listening to this, who is wondering about where their place in life is and, uh, where they can look to find meaning in their lives. Um, I would say start there. Uh, Start small, but start there. I would look to your family and to the people that are close to you and repair and fix and make better those relationships. Um, That's that's what I would do. I mean, and and Dean, the the stepfather's, I think, living proof of that. You know, he spent his, his... his entire life is dedicated towards raising seven kids who aren't even his. Like I, in, I don't know what's more meaningful than that. What's more meaningful than, than, than molding the lives of people that you have no affinity towards. Like what's like, he has no reason to do any of that. He could just go off and make a choice. Yeah. Yeah. By, by fucking choice. And, you know, and that is maybe kids aren't your thing, so that's not what you do. But maybe you make your marriage or your relationship better. That's yeah. anyone who's married or in a relationship probably has stuff they could fix. If you don't, congratulations. You literally are the perfect <laughs> relationship we were talking about earlier. Um, 
my bet is that there's problems and you should fix them. That's easier said than done, but like there's some meaning. You know, call call up your mom and tell her you love her. Call up your dad. Um, call your grandma. Call your brothers and sisters. Like, and um, and focus on those things. Like it, it's a beautiful thing to just sit. And most of the time, I just sat in silence with a smile on my face, just like watching my family like run around. You know, we had a bunch of kids up there, so that was fun too. But I just got to sit there and just kind of bask in all the happiness that was going around. You know. Um, had an eclectic mix of people up there and some weren't relatives, some were. And um, my cousin's ex-husband brought her kids up, you know, because he has custody. And so like, that was interesting, right? It's like, and one of the girls aren't, isn't even his. He adopted her, you know. Maybe and, by and, choice. Yeah. yeah and, the, and then my brother I haven't seen in five years. He has, um, he's the stepfather. He has, his, he has a daughter too with, with the woman he's with, but he's, she also has a kid from another relationship. So he's a stepfather. And I was looking around and I was like, everyone here is a stepfather. Like my entire, like my whole family is just littered with stepfathers, which is crazy to me. But, um, you know, they're around. And that's that's kind of, that's why I think the families are staying together and staying cohesive and for the most part, staying out of trouble is in part is because of that. It's because they're they're, they're there to create good values for these kids. Whatever those values may look like, you know. Yeah. And, um yeah, anyways, it was just, uh, it was um, it was a very powerful weekend for me, very powerfully uh, emotional weekend where I might, I, I'm glad I'm home. I really missed my girlfriend. It had been like four days. I really wanted to sleep in my own bed. Um, but like, I can't wait to go back too. You know, I, I just want to go back and immerse myself in that fun experience again and preferably with my girlfriend this time. But um just to be around everyone and have them up there and laughing and having fun and, you know, giving each other shit and playing games and, um, you know, just, just, just enjoying myself, just basking in the love. Um, as, uh, as Lex Fridman would say, it's all about love. <laughs> you harp on Lex a lot for that. <laughs> I do. But uh, maybe I'm slowly coming around. I don't know. Maybe I've turned into a big old softy. Yeah, I think that, that feeling you're talking about, that's what he's talking about. Well, <laughs> More of that. Yeah. I, well, I hate feelings. Feelings are stupid. Feelings are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, um, I, I think on some level he is right. And uh, uh, I'm, I've been slowly coming around to that more and more um, over the last year in particular. And um, I'm still not sure if he's... I'm still not sold that he's totally correct, but um, I like the sentiment is that, is that I've been able to reconnect with my family more. It's uh, becoming more apparent to me that um, he's at least on to something. What? What? Why are you That's laughing? Beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm glad to see that you're getting some value. Bullshit. Out of you're giving me shit for expressing my feelings. <laughs> this is why men bottle everything up inside. <laughs> All right. I'm trying this to encourage what, you, man. I'm not going to get all sloppy, but I am encouraging you. <laughs> You're failing miserably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that um, that was my good note to end on right there. That was, that's probably why I want to bring it up. Is it? It was just such a nice, a nice weekend of um, just happiness and um, immersing myself in, in people who care about me and people that I care about and. Um, you know, just having a good time catching up. And, uh, again, it was, it was really funny to watch Connor break his leg, trying to throw a punch. That was hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, we could, we do a whole podcast on that, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then, 
you know, on the ground talking shit, calling his opponent's wife a. Oh, did he say ho or whore? I don't know which, but he called her. Oh, he was, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was an accent. I couldn't understand half of what he, half the insults he was making, but um, but calling her mean names anyways. You know, like just it's like come on. <laughs> well, I think I think Khabib actually fucking nailed it perfectly with a meme that he put out, and what the meme was. If you're listening, you've probably already seen it, but just in case you haven't, it was three quotes that Connor made before the fight with the whole buildup. He obviously was talking a bunch of shit. Um, the first one, I believe it was, is uh, first one to shoot is a dusty bitch right next to a photo of Connor being the first to shoot. <laughs> the next quote was um, <laughs> submissions don't count next to a photo of Connor trying to get a guillotine. <laughs> and the last one was Connor saying he's going out on a stretcher next to the photo of Connor, Connor going out going on out. a stretcher. <laughs> three for three, man. It's beautiful. I love uh, it. Yeah, it and just I, made me so happy. The one I hadn't heard and I really enjoyed was uh, when Dustin said karma's a mirror. Yeah. Like, Ooh, yeah. Karma is a mirror. That was That no. was a perfect moment for that. My favorite was when, because people were like booing Dustin, yeah, uh, Mr. Boy, after he won. And he's like, to all you, all you haters out there or whatever, you could lick my whole asshole. Yep. <laughs> yeah, a little Jay-Z action there. I love it. Yeah, he handled it well. So. Super classy, though. He really was. That's what I, I did. I did. I've never seen him fight and so uh, or, or talk or anything. And I was impressed with the classiness with which he approached everything. Yeah, he's a solid um, dude. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, well, so cool. th- that was, that was the good note I wanted to end on is just that. And so if you have anything to add, um, uh, nah, man, I think that's perfect. Sweet. Well, that's uh, the good stuff amongst the all the stuff. fucking chaos, chaos. Yep. It's all about family anyway. So work on that. Yep. Go talk to your family. Go tell your, your kids, your parents, your spouse, your siblings that you love them. Go have dinner with them, preferably without a mask outside <laughs> if you need to, um, just because it's it's better, you yeah. know, it, for obvious reasons. That's why we have historically not worn masks. Um, and uh, just enjoy yourself, especially because the weather's nice too. You know, like it's uh, it's been beautiful out. Just get outside and breathe yeah, in the fresh the air. Man, it's been fucking gorgeous. Yeah, just breathe in the fresh air and get a little sun, a little vitamin D, and uh, have some good times. Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, enjoy the rest of your morning, afternoon, or evening. Peace.